0: Hello and welcome to Fundamental Value, A Journey to Quantify Crypto. I'm your host, Joshua Frank, co-founder and CEO of The Tie. On Fundamental Value, we speak with the leading hedge funds, analysts, trading venues, and digital asset market participants. Our goal is simple, to understand how the leading minds in the cryptocurrency space are researching, analyzing, and quantifying the value of digital assets. Quick disclaimer, this podcast was recorded and is being made available solely for informational purposes. The information, statements, comments, views, and opinions provided in this podcast should not be construed as a provision of investment advice or as an offer to buy or sell any securities or tokens, or to make or consider any investment advice in any investment or course of action. You can view our show notes for our complete disclosures. In this week's episode, I am joined by Yoni Assia, co-founder and CEO at eToro, the premier social trading network with over 13 million users in over 140 countries. Yoni, it's good to have you on. Hi, it's great to be on. Thank you very much. So can you give us a, a bit of a background on eToro? And more specifically, eToro was one of the first non-crypto platforms to enter the digital asset space. What was the impetus for entering all the way back? And I believe it was 2014.
1: Sure. So eToro started with a vision of opening the global markets for everyone to trade and invest in a simple and transparent way. Uh, today, we have over 30 million users who can trade Uh, Stocks, commodities, indices, currencies and cryptocurrencies within a social network where everyone can see, follow and automatically copy top traders from all over the world uh, and invest in copy portfolios that both our investments team and uh, partners like the Thai set up on eToro for users to invest in. Um, our journey started with crypto relatively early on. So I've been I'm a comp- I come from a computer sciences background and a trading background uh, uh, relatively uh, young. So I was always path very passionate about capital markets and, and sort of the technology empowering capital markets. And when we founded, eToro in 2007, this was very, very early days of fintech. So fintech today is a very big industry, but the term fintech, I think, was coined only a couple of three to five years after we started eToro. And as an entrepreneur and somebody coming from computer sciences, I realized relatively fast, I think 2008 was uh, sort of a a very big wake-up call that the entire infrastructure of financial services is completely broken because nothing connects. So you need to you send a trade to a bank. You don't necessarily know in real time whether the trade was booked. You need to reconcile it a day after to find out whether your trade was actually done. And if you need to move a trade from one place to another uh, across the world, uh, basically this could take... You know, a week or two, if you do transfer funds in different currencies, that can take three to five days till you see it hit the account, so you need to manage in-transit funds, and it blew my mind that with everything happening in technology, the technological infrastructure in financial services, that if you think about it, is by far the largest digital industry in the world because it's all zero and ones, is, is very archaic. And by the way, it's also one of the reasons, in my view, that led to the global financial crisis in 2008 because people, regulators, governments, the Fed, uh, central banks didn't really have a view of what's happening, of where the money is. So when I saw Bitcoin in 2010... Uh, And started moving Bitcoin from one place to another and actually paying some programmers to build the concept of colored coins back in 2012. I completely fell in love with the concept of a public ledger that's based to enable basically the transfer of assets in real time uh, for multiple parties and basically combining pre-trade trade and reconciliation uh, into one action, and when we looked at Bitcoin originally, other than the sort of macro view of deflationary asset limited by 21 million, obviously very relevant today when money printing machines are doing uh, 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 of working overtime, we thought that the real benefit eventually of a blockchain is to be able to trade. Uh, real assets, euros, dollars, yens, gold, silver, oil, stocks eventually. Uh, And that's where we went into the technology of of Bitcoin, of blockchain. Uh, And we actually built a decentralized exchange back in 2012 uh, and a protocol called Colored Coins uh, that was running on top of the Bitcoin network that enabled atomic swaps between tokenized assets that we build on uh, the Bitcoin network. This was very early on, probably too early, Um, but that's, that's sort of where we believe the industry as a whole is going. So we're very big believers in the future of tokenization of assets and that eventually all financial assets will be tokenized and will be digitally native.
0: Yeah, that's a you know, that's really interesting answer and a and a really good point. I think, you know, security tokens seem to have generated a lot of buzz and a lot of attention back in twenty seventeen and, and, and twenty eighteen. And before we even get into, you know, kind of the crux of, of the questions that I wanted to ask as it related to, you know, research and data and how eToro does due diligence on crypto, what what I wanna know is how do you think we get to that world uh, with the tokenization of assets? I mean, to me, a lot of the problem li- lies at this point with lack of liquidity and lack of access to these markets, because some of these markets are starting to you know, spin up. But I'd love to get your perspective as well. So I think first it takes time.
1: So I remember... Uh, I, I was as passionate about the Internet as I am passionate about Bitcoin and blockchain back in uh, 95, 96 to 99. So sort of the, for me as a kid, the emergence of the Internet. And, and I, I remember the days of the dot-com bubble. Uh, and in the dot-com bubble, everybody spoke about the future that has become today reality which is everything is in e-commerce, uh, we're recording podcasts and, and people are listening to them from all over the world. Uh, so, you know, today it's very easy to see that the internet has taken a significant parts in our lives. What was amazing is in 99, entrepreneurs, uh, VCs were all talking about that envisioned future. Uh, and then 2000 came along, uh, the the bubble uh, crashed. And people, some people thought, okay, the, you know, this is never going to happen. The, the conclusion is these transformational technologies that need to transform entire industries simply take time. Uh, they need to create an, a significant network effect to onboard a lot of consumers. And you don't necessarily know where adoption will come from. Uh, so that's why, for example, in eToro, uh, we launched 17 different stable coins because we think the basis of adoption is to be able to have the fiat currencies uh, and commodities on the blockchain. So, on top of that, you can s- suddenly start building things like leveraged instruments uh, over smart contracts, uh, things like uh, basically swaps uh, in smart contracts. Uh, but it's all about creating standards and having people use those standards because otherwise, and I think that's a bit what's happening in the blockchain space today, everybody's trying to build, there are more standards than users. Uh, So everybody's trying to build the standard and there's still not significant adoption to any one specific standard, whether a specific tokenized asset uh, or uh, a specific sort of way to do financial smart contracts over the blockchain. So I think eventually it's very hard to look at this industry, the blockchain part, and think about how adoption is going to look in the next 10 years. But I think it is very easy to assume that almost any asset, financial asset, 10 years from now or maybe 20 years from now will basically be on a, Public blockchain transferable twenty four seven, where uh, all of the people who need to transfer uh, that specific asset are a part of that blockchain or or that network.
0: So not to not to toot your horn too much here, but eToro has been one of the the most successful platforms as it relates to bringing digital assets and and blockchain technology to the mainstream. How, how are you able to, to do that and how can that be replicated? Um, you know, how, how big did eToro actually get in, in, in late 2017, early 2018, as it related to you know, things like the number or percentage of users that were interacting with crypto? I, I, I believe it was quite large. Well,
1: uh, we started in 2017 when we uh, opened about 200 uh, funded accounts every day on average. And at the peak of 2017, uh, we had a couple of days with 20,000 new funded accounts a day. So within that year of the crypto rally, uh, we grew from the beginning of the year to the end of the year, uh, basically a hundred times. And I think that's a part of what made eToro successful in the crypto rally is we were able to withstand that level of scale within the year and sort of uh uh, keep the business running so this was if you remember in december 2017 a lot of the exchanges actually closed their gates you couldn't actually yeah i I remember
0: i remember talking to uh bill uh from bittrex and and they just physically could not take on any more users
1: So, so all of them uh all of the big exchanges closed their gates We were also one of the very few fiat on-ramps into crypto. Uh, So not only uh, were we uh, able to onboard clients very fast and efficient, so people can actually open an account today in eToro. You can download the app and within five minutes fund an account uh, with with the credit card with $200.00. Uh, And then buy either a fraction of a stock of Google or uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum. So the ability to open accounts fast, automatically, uh, the fact that we are a broker of not only crypto, but of uh, stocks. uh, So we're a regulated uh, brokerage uh, across many, many instruments enabled us to scale very fast in a very short period of time.
0: So how, how has the digital asset market progressed since you, you know, one, first built your protocol for swaps back in 2012, but also since you started offering trading? And, you know, you mentioned, you know, the, the dot-com boom and technology and the internet, you know, you know, the internet rather, taking so long to achieve, you know, mainstream adoption. How did, you know, the, you know, how is the progression of the crypto market compared to what your expectations were when you first entered the space?
1: I think my expectations were that we would see faster adoption um, from a payments point of view. So I'm a bit surprised uh, how uh, sort of the the lack of adoption of Bitcoin uh, as a payment channel. But I think in general, and and that again relates to my view of what happened in the dot-com bubble, and I think there are a lot of similarities between the dot-com bubble in uh, the crypto bubble, is I, I think everybody are ha- were right and are right about the transformational uh, paradigm shift that's going to happen. I just think it's going to take longer, and it's not necessarily that Bitcoin is going to fly to the moon tomorrow morning, but over the next five to fifteen years, uh, we're going to see Bitcoin eventually used in places where fiat currencies fail. Uh, And we're going to see smart contracts for sure being used for financial services, for financial smart contracts, because it provides a level of transparency, uh, mathematics and discretion that doesn't exist today in finance. It sort of moves everything to computer sciences, which is, in my opinion, the way it needs to, uh, to be done. Um, so I, I think sort of resistance is futile. The future uh, will happen, but it's just going to take time for all of the standards to emerge uh, and for people to, to understand how can they use this at scale.
0: So you spoke specifically about Bitcoin being used in, in you know, markets that lack access to traditional financial products. Do you think that, that that's going to specifically be Bitcoin? I know you also mentioned that you know Bitcoin hasn't uh, achieved that mainstream payment adoption. Because one of the things that we've been seeing is this massive scaling of stable coins. And you mentioned that eToro had launched something around 70 uh, stable coins. Do you think it's, it's going to be Bitcoin? Uh, that that helps unlock these financial products? Do you think it's going to be another digital asset? Uh, Do you think it's just going to be U.S. dollars on a blockchain? I mean, how do you and how does eToro think about this?
1: So I I think Bitcoin has uh, a specific purpose of being a deflationary asset uh, that provides sort of the digital gold to everything else uh, that's about to happen uh, on the blockchain uh, or within the digital uh, crypto space. So I, I think it's going to be very hard for any other cryptocurrency to take uh, uh, Bit- Bitcoin's prominence and sort of the position uh, of Bitcoin as king of crypto. Uh, and that's simply because of its brand awareness. So I think Bitcoin today in the at least the world of finance is positioned, you know with brands, like Google and Microsoft and and Coca-Cola, and from a brand perspective, you can't spend enough money to uh, reach that order of magnitude. Uh, For other purposes, um, whether, you know, uh, and and we are enabling trading uh, in 16 different cryptocurrencies in the top 16, I think every crypto has... A bit of a different purpose. So if Bitcoin is digital gold, I think Ethereum is uh, potentially digital oil. Uh, So it enables smart contracts uh, to run. Uh, It's it's supposed to be eventually more efficient to run things that are more complex simply than transferring Bitcoin from one place to another. So I think most, for example, stable coins uh, are gradually Moving into Ethereum, although still I think a significant part of Tether is based on Omni, uh, which is on Bitcoin. I think XRP also has an interesting purpose, and that is to try and connect all of the banks to uh, blockchain uh, and enable uh, all of the banks uh, to be able to transfer assets from one place, uh, from one bank to another in a very efficient way and potentially open up that network of banks uh, to either external uh, users or potential merchants uh, like eToro. Uh, And I can go probably one crypto after another uh, to sort of explain their purpose. And I think that's why those with a specific purpose and a value that is, a, is that is different from the value that Bitcoin brings to the table, uh, I think that's what separates those sixteen cryptocurrencies from you know another uh, three thousand uh, other cryptocurrencies. Uh, and and we're constantly evaluating what's interesting.
0: What's Yeah, so I'd, I'd love to hop right into this question, because I think this, this leads really well, is is how do you identify these projects, right? You know, you, you spoke about the purpose of all of these projects, but what are you actually doing to identify them? You know, what is the starting point or impetus for adding new assets to the platform? It's a lot about
1: uh, our understanding of these new assets and us looking uh, at the different markets, uh, and uh, looking at what picks up in customer demand. So we want to provide to our clients uh, assets that they're interested in. Uh, By the way, the same in in stocks, whether it's suddenly adding the biggest IPO in history of Aramco, the largest oil company in the world, uh, a couple of months ago, or whether it's adding uh, instruments like hong kong stocks uh, or different stocks from different places so we are always asking ourselves how many of our consumers are actually interested in buying that asset so that is always the first question and then there's a couple of uh, a sort of within that process of evaluating uh, we're going to ask questions on are we familiar with the blockchain do we feel comfortable with the technology of the blockchain go through a security audit can we operate a node on the blockchain? Can we support hot, warm wallets, air gaps, cold storage solutions? So there's a lot of effort going into supporting uh, a new crypto from A to Z, uh, which is why we're adding them relatively, uh, you know, focusing on the big ones.
0: And so what what other types of due diligence do you have to do? Are you working with the teams behind these protocols at all uh, do you, do you worry about any securities issues as it relates to specific uh, tokens and does it matter by the country that etoro is operating uh, in
1: so in most countries we offer most of the crypto assets again there's a you know a five step process of customer interest technology overview uh cyber security overview a legal overview uh, to sort of uh, try to uh, capture whether that asset is a security or a commodity or a currency uh, from our definition, which will then define where do we offer it? Uh, and then uh, sort of do we understand, do we have a view, uh, not whether this is a, is a good investment because that comes up to what is the price, but we do we understand the value Uh, that that crypto brings to the table. In most cases, we are in touch uh, with the various companies uh, or foundations uh, behind the crypto assets. And we obviously are also looking at sort of traction, uh, not only from customer interest, but also uh, liquidity uh, in uh, other exchanges.
0: So how do you, how do you go about sourcing liquidity for the platform? E- Etoro is not an exchange, so how do you I- identify, you know, whether these assets have sufficient liquidity? Like, how do you define that? What markets do you go to? Are you guys also trading on exchange? Are you trading OTC? How are you actually sourcing uh, the liquidity sure, for your so customers? Sure, so it's
1: actually quite straightforward. So we have Etoro X, which is our exchange. Uh, on the back end, so when the crypto rally started, we didn't have an exchange. So in essence, we're a brokerage platform. Uh, that's one of also of the great benefits of eToro is you don't need to understand how to work with a, a order book uh, and sort of you what you see is what you get from a price point of view. So you come to eToro, you open, download the app, open an account f- deposit $1,000 with your credit card. You see the price on the screen, let's say Bitcoin is at $10,000 uh, and you buy 0.1 Bitcoin, period. A very simple process. Um, on the back end of that, we connected to about uh, a dozen different exchanges and created internally basically a, an aggregated order book. Uh, so we would basically go into the market uh, using an, our own aggregator. Uh, and uh, during 2019, we looked at the technology that we've built of creating that aggregator and market maker. And we said, okay, let's actually build a product out of it. And that was the launch of eToroX, uh, our exchange. So you can actually see our liquidity on E-Toro X today. Uh, and that's what's driving the prices
0: uh, into the eToro platform. So how do you and and the eToro team think about asset valuation within crypto? What would you define as being the fundamentals in this industry? And I, I know you mentioned that there are you know, different tokens that serve different types of utilities. Are, are, are fundamentals different depending on the, the token or the, the sector that these tokens are operating in?
1: I, I think it comes down to like any valuation, even of, you know, stocks or companies, it comes down from understanding market dynamics um, and, you know, capital markets as capital markets is all supply and demand. So it's what's the story? What's the equity story of a stock in the stock markets or of a cryptocurrency, right? So digital gold is an equity story of uh, Bitcoin, Um, you know, a world computer uh, is the equity story of Ethereum. And then you ask yourself, okay, how do I measure this equity story by looking at some of the fundamentals? So if you look at a token like Ethereum, I think it's very clear that they've built basically the gas. So the usage of Ethereum requires you to spend gas. Gas is ETH. So you can actually model A revenue projection out of it. So when we think of token economics and token valuation, uh, it's really based on what's the equity story of that specific token, and then is there a way to measure uh, the expected growth of that token story, um, and can you translate that into usage? And I'll give an example of how potentially you can uh, value uh, Ethereum. So Ethereum in general, um, people need to consume ETH as they use the network. Uh, So you can look at the gas spent every day as basically the revenues of the exchange, as the volume of the exchange. Um, And uh, there is the equation of exchange model, which is relatively a historic uh, economic model uh, to uh, measure the value of an economy, Uh, and it is M multiplied by V equals P multiplied by Q, where M is the value of the underlying transaction, V is the velocity of the currency, P is the average price per good in dollars, and Q is the number of goods bought sold using the currency. So if you think about every transaction in Ethereum uh, as basically uh, a a reason for people to need to have Ethereum because they are going to spend it on transactions, you can basically calculate from that what's your expected valuation for Ethereum if you assume an underlying uh, thesis of growth of the network, right? So growth of usage of gas. So if you assume, for example, a growth of 50 to 100% a year in the transactions, uh, size, velocity, etc. On Ethereum, uh, then you potentially can easily assume that same level of compounded growth to the valuation of ETH. Uh, and I would say there is a different, again, equity story and therefore valuation model for the different type of cryptocurrency. So ETH is probably also similar to the likes of Tezos, uh, where baking is a bit different. ETH is gonna have staking. Uh, Tron has its own sort of staking ecosystem, same as EOS, uh, but they are all basically uh, similar as they're based on the equation of exchange model. I think XRP uh, is different, uh, at least so far, because it doesn't have that embedded usage within the exchange. Um, and I think Bitcoin has a different equity story than sort of the platforms out there for smart contracts and transactions.
0: So you talked a lot about, you know, a few different models or methods for, for valuing these assets. What percentage of digital asset movement, both from a, a short or longer term perspective, uh, is driven or, or can it be explained by data? You know, what what do you think is actually driving this this market? Is it technical analysis? Is it you know macro factors? Is it on chain activity? Is it sentiment, uh, or or do you think the the market is is beginning to price in the fair value of these assets?
1: I think it's very hard to price fair value to for a commodity. Um, so I think eventually it's supply and demand and supply and demand very much uh, relies on, right now, uh, retail's consumers' interest. So I think things like uh, what you guys are doing, looking at sentiment, uh, whether it's you know Twitter sentiment or looking at Google trends. So what's really driving Bitcoin prices is simply... Bitcoin price is going up, then more people are coming to buy crypto, then it's going up. So it's very cyclical of how capital markets work, just in a very, very condensed way. So it's all about hype. It's all about uh, how many people right now are interested in coming to
0: buy crypto. And do you see so so one of the features on eToro, and, and you're welcome to speak more on this, but is the fact that eToro is not just a trading venue, it, it really is a social network where you know users can you know view you know the trades and, and the portfolios of other users, but they can also interact on feeds on the platform and can comment and share their thoughts on specific assets. Do you see more activity around digital assets than you do around equities in terms of you know the number of posts, the engagement, or is it or is it more similar now than it than it was a few years ago?
1: It's it's actually more similar now than uh, it was a, a few years ago. So I think crypto really sort of uh, scaled eToro uh, during the crypto rally, but what we see now is actually. People are as interested or at least as interested, if not more, in equities than crypto. And I see that even uh, when I'm talking, you know, in various groups um, uh, with crypto people. I think uh, the corona epidemic have brought a lot of the crypto people to actually look at the traditional markets. If you think about what's happening right now in the markets since March, um, it actually has been more volatile Uh, And sort of active even than crypto. Um, But crypto has a very cult uh, community around it. So people who are into crypto are usually big believers in crypto. They're here to stay. And they have a a, a generally uh, very long-term hold uh, sort of mentality. While some of them are traders and they want to actively trade. Uh, and that's something that we're definitely seeing on the social trading network is some of our customers are coming in and they don't necessarily have a position on which cryptocurrency do I want to buy? Do I want to get in and out of positions uh, or uh, do I just want to to huddle uh, uh, for eternity? Uh, and that's the whole concept of social trading is to enable Users to communicate between themselves to see what other traders are doing or other strategies are doing, and to be able to either make their own informed decision about what they want to do or simply invest uh, in co- by copying others. Um, and that enables a different type of audience to be able to invest in crypto without the need to really understand sort of the internals of a market, of the valuation, of where we are on a hype cycle, um, which is a lot of the things that finance geeks like probably myself and you sort of do on
0: a day-to-day basis. So what types of patterns have you seen? You mentioned earlier that a very large percentage of your user base or your growth, you know, originated, you know, you said you went hundred X, I think it was, or a thousand X. Um, You know, as the crypto markets boomed in 2017, 2018, what I'm interested in knowing is, are those users now trading equities? And are the new users on your platform that have come and, and started, you know, trading equities, are they now allocating to crypto? You know, what is the interaction between, you know, your crypto first and your equity first customers?
1: That we see a very similar minded individuals trading crypto uh, and equities on the platform. So, again, our customers are, you know, obviously we have a very wide customer base, uh, but a lot of them are 25 to 45 tech-enabled, effluent slash mess-effluent individuals, maybe in their early stages of learning about the markets and accumulating wealth. Um, and we definitely see that there is a very high uh, sort of Cross reference of people coming into buying things like Tesla stock or Apple stocks or technology stocks uh, and their uh, potential usage after of cryptocurrencies. So I would say very high correlation between our users that are trading crypto to the users who are uh, trading
0: uh, tech stocks. That's interesting. And and those users, I mean, and you may not have this data, right? It's pretty specific, but. One thing that that I've always wondered is, does a user typically enter with Bitcoin first, or are the users on Etoro's platform entering by copying other traders that are allocating, or copying other portfolios that are allocating to crypto? Are they just entering first with Bitcoin, uh, and then you know, is there you know, are are a number of those users then going you know, kind of down the rabbit hole into altcoins, or does it does it you know really depend?
1: So again, the platform is very wide. So uh, there's uh, something like 25% of users who come in first to copy. Uh, There is about 40% of users who actually come first to trade stocks and about 15 to 25% depending on sort of volatility and hype cycle coming to trade crypto. So a very diverse audience. Um, and in crypto, it's actually quite diverse. So they're not they're not all Bitcoiners. We have seen specific times in the past where actually XRP was the leading uh, crypto on Etoro. Sometimes the Ethereum was the leading crypto on Etoro. I think recently we saw a surge in activity around Cardano uh, as they're preparing uh, for uh, the August mainnet launch. I think recently we've seen. The, sort of the coin pick up quite significantly, so it's a very di- diverse audience uh, rather than sort of the you know maximalist uh, view of
0: Bitcoin only. And so Etoro has users in a, over 140 different countries. Do you find any interesting patterns or any interesting insights? Between how users in different countries are are trading different asset classes or holding different asset classes, you know, for example, you know, is there a propensity, you know, in Asia to hold, you know, crypto over equities as, you know, an example, or, or does it seem like it's pretty consistent across, you know, different, you know, geographic regions?
1: It definitely varies between geographics. Um, I think you know we'll be happy to maybe share some more detailed information uh, to create some infographic, but we, we look at the data a lot, uh, and it varies a lot between the different countries. You know, some countries we see significantly more people using the copy function. Uh, I remember recently looking at data showing our Italian customer base are very, very fond of copying. Rather than trading on their own, um, and we see uh, some places which are very, very active uh, on their own on one asset class, but completely want to copy when it comes to another asset class.
0: So, what are the you know tools, technology, and resources that Etoro is making available to its customers to trade digital assets? Uh, you know now, and how did that differ from when you first started, and and what is the future? look like for eToro as it relates to, uh, you know, helping users, you know, gain access to and exposure to this asset class? And and maybe how does security tokens play into that in the future as well?
1: Sure. So first of all, uh, we provide today both uh, a very simple, easy access to both buy uh, crypto directly on the platform uh, with a credit card, uh, then you're able to transfer those assets also to a wallet. So we expended our offering not only for uh, basically enabling trading in crypto uh, and fiat on rep into crypto, but also to be able to use the wallet, uh, which is a multi-signature on uh, on the blockchain, multi-blockchain wallet, which enables you to basically send and receive crypto assets um, using sort of the, the core technology of the blockchain service. Uh, we have uh, also established the Toro X. So we basically took our backend, uh, our the way we trade in the markets and said, okay, if professional users or institutions want to trade on our backend on the same liquidity where we go out to the market, then let's uh, basically organize that and, and set the set that up. Uh, so again, Both the wallet the exchange and eToro all share the same credentials. So logging in with the same username password, uh, but each of a different type of audience. Uh, We are currently looking at expanding the eToro wallet services by also adding a debit card. So enabling people not only to buy crypto, save crypto, send crypto, but also to spend crypto. Um, I think that's a, a great way uh, to promote adoption. Um, and in a more longer term view, we have our Blockchain Labs team in Copenhagen, which have built the issuance platform on eToro, where we issued the 17 stable coins and listed them on uh, X. There we're exploring a lot of uh, how can we use smart contracts in order to create cool stuff that we think people will use in the internet, uh, whether it's you know completely decentralized leverage offering, uh, margin swaps. Uh, so how can we use that technology uh, to bring traction to uh, blockchains and smart contracts?
0: So the the craziness of this world, you know, seems to have And you you spoke to this earlier. Have driven a, a lot of new retail enthusiasm towards equities. I, I think I saw data from Robinhood or, or from somewhere else just showing the number of shareholders uh, in in stocks, you know, growing exponentially. Um, have you continued to see that pattern as the, you know, I guess the, the the world has continued to unravel, or was that you know mostly in the beginning of March? and and i I kind of want to correlate that to the bitcoin having, and did you see equal enthusiasm there that you did towards you know individual and retail investors moving towards equities?
1: We definitely are seeing a retail rally, so I think more and more consumers uh that are uh potentially still in quarantined um or isolated um, they are all looking at the markets the markets have driven up 40% since it's bottomed uh, the the biggest rally or the fastest rally uh, uh, in S&P and and NASDAQ history. So I think people are excited about that. People are making money um, when the markets are going up. Um, I think, you know, this is, so we're still very much seeing elevated client activity versus six months ago. Um, And there's a big uh, sort of uh, question around, is this the new normal? So I think this uh, this is a situation where the markets have driven so fast, created a dialogue with an entire generation, where that generation is very much interested in what's happening in the markets. Can I be active on the markets? And, you know, don't necessarily want to go and meet an advisor or meet their
0: banker. And did you see uh, a similar pattern as it related to digital assets? Because you know we saw on March twelfth, Bitcoin crashed all the way down. I think at its lowest point to around thirty seven hundred dollars on certain exchanges, and that was you know just a few weeks or you know maybe a month before the having. Did you see that generate some more enthusiasm, or is the majority still in the equity market?
1: We definitely saw a lot of enthusiasm. Not on the crash side, on the recovery side. So we saw, you know, when, when Bitcoin climbed back from 4,000 to 6,000, 8,000, 10,000, we definitely saw significant elevated customer interest in Bitcoin, specifically in those uh, areas. We, we saw, by the way, something somewhat similar happening in Litecoin for a short duration. So we're definitely, what we've learned is, Bitcoin is very, very correlated to to its hype cycle. So the minute it starts to go up significantly, we we see the next day more consumers coming into eToro. Uh, So if Bitcoin jumps 20% today, we know we're going to see tomorrow 20% more people opening accounts and funding them with eToro. And at least 20%, if not 50%, more of our hodlers opening the platforms and starting to trade
0: yeah it's 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 interesting you know and that's the reason that you know we decided to you know move into the digital asset market you know and, and take sentiment data you know as the tie from equity markets is the fact that crypto is because they're you know we discussed some fundamentals but because there really aren't broadly defined fundamentals yet you know crypto really is driven by investor sentiment and by the wisdom of the crowd and i think that you know the Etoro platform does a good job in in, in capturing that through uh, you know the social networks and the different copy trading strategies. But it's interesting to hear from you know the CEO of one of the largest exchanges that you know that's thing that that you guys are experiencing as well on a day to day basis. Um,
1: I, I so, think I think it's again it's a multiple of what's happening in the equities market because in in the equities market you have somewhat of a floor, right? So if a company generates a hundred million dollars profit a year and gives that as a dividend, uh, then there's a minimum at which price that stock will trade in. And there's somewhat of a maximum, though the maximum seems to be disappearing again, where you're saying, okay, if a company does $100 million of profit a year, uh, or $100 million of revenues a year, uh, maybe the valuation should be correlated as a multiple of revenues or of profits. With crypto, it's purely speculative. So there isn't necessarily a fair value approach to crypto. It's really about hype. It's really about is someone else going to be willing to pay more for the Bitcoin that I've bought at X. Um, I'll I'll quote Warren Buffett. Um, So when we had dinner together uh, and we started talking about crypto... Uh, He, like, very blatantly said, listen, I'm not interested in crypto. Crypto doesn't do anything. It doesn't employ people. It doesn't pay salaries. It doesn't grow. It's basically like gold. And if you compare me buying all the gold in the world and filling uh, it a football stadium, and then you compare me taking those $9 trillion and buying apple and google and facebook and amazon right because that's the entire gold in the world and he said in 10 years these companies generated jobs products um dividends profits uh etc added a lot of value to the world and the football stadium filled with gold is still football stadium filled with gold so his view is it's you know it's very similar uh to a commodity um, and and I think that's a fair view, at least, of Bitcoin, which means it's very much based on sentiment and hype cycles. What is going to be the value of Bitcoin?
0: Yeah, I, I I I totally agree with you. And I think you know Warren Buffett is doing a favor to Bitcoin by comparing it to gold. And I think it's you know only a positive that that narrative is starting to to really take a foothold. What I want to get into, though, is is your acquisition of of Delta. Um, So can you tell us a little bit more about what Delta is, why you acquired uh, the platform, and then how you see M&A activity shaping up within the digital asset sector over the next few years?
1: Sure. So so Delta is one of the leading portfolio trackers uh, in the crypto space, where you can track uh, your crypto assets across multiple exchanges and multiple wallets and create a consolidated view of all of your holdings. Uh, A great team, extremely product-oriented team, uh, a great product. So I've been a user of their product for a while. Um, And we thought it would be great to uh, take the Delta team and expand it eventually into the entire world of investing. So our combined vision eventually is to be able to trick all of your investment assets uh, in all of your banks and brokers uh, uh, into a simple app that can con- give you a consolidated view of all of your investments. And we've met together with a team. We, this was relatively sort of crypto winterish. Uh, so uh, I think they realized they wanted to expand beyond crypto and I think we're positioned very well uh, sort of between the sort of new world of crypto and the traditional world of money management, investments uh, and equities. So we were very happy to to see when sort of crypto companies want to expand into the traditional world. Uh, where it's definitely something that interests us because I think... I think a bank or a broker that eventually will not all offer crypto are going to lose a cohort of their customers because those customers will want to invest in crypto. Um, so, and I, but I also think the opposite. So I think eventually consumers need to manage their money in, in a, within a unified view, uh, if not all of it in one broker like eToro that enables that unified view. Uh, that at least
0: have that unified view across all of your assets. So a question then is: We've seen most of the M and A activity within the digital asset space. Um, you know, for example, all the you know acquisitions on the custody side: uh, Binance purchasing Coin Market Cap, uh, Coinbase purchasing To That has mainly been crypto. To crypto acquisition, right, where the where the purpose of the acquisition is to increase a company's capability or or user reach, specifically within the digital asset space, do you think that that will remain to be the case, or do you think that there will be a lot of acquisitions by more traditional financial uh, institutions that are looking to broaden and expand their offerings into digital assets?
1: I definitely think you know what what you mentioned is vertical integration is if you have a supply chain, and and you can think of a crypto as a supply chain, so Binance buying CoinMarketCap is buying the traffic generator, Uh, Coinbase uh, buying Tagomi uh, is buying the infrastructure of trading uh, or tools. Um, and, and And I think, you know, our view is a bit more horizontal integration, asking what additional products do our customers want. I think some companies are doing that as well. I think we will eventually see more traditional companies buying crypto companies, but it's it's going to take a while. So right now, the majority, because to get crypto, you need to be somewhat of a crypto personality.
0: Yeah, I think that's totally fair. So do you see eToro being a, you know, uh, a more active participant on the acquisition front? And are there certain types of platforms and products that interest you? And that doesn't necessarily need to be a crypto specific company that can be, you know, more broadly, as you talk about, you know, wanting to to, to bring forth more horizontal integration to the company.
1: We have a very sort of long term vision for eToro. We want to build uh, the largest digital investment platform in the world. Uh, which is global and provides access to all global markets. Uh, our view of crypto is that of blockchain uh, is that it is a, a paradigm shift in technology um, and that this technology paradigm shift will eventually enable us to add more assets into the Toro platform, whether it's security tokens or whether it's tokenized assets or tokenized art or tokenized... NBA players, so we, we truly buy that long-term vision uh, of uh, sort of blockchain capability to unlock liquidity in a price formation, uh, and, and we'll always be happy to look at companies in this space, uh, especially those who sort of started to find a product market fit and there could be good synergies between their customer base and our customer base.
0: So. Final two questions. The first is, what worries you most about crypto? What are the biggest risks for the digital asset space? And then what has you most excited?
1: I think the biggest risk is, is regulation uh, by far. Um, I think um, I don't think Bitcoin can be killed, um, but I do think a lot of the altcoins could be killed. Uh, we just saw Telegram basically being killed by the sec um so and and the sec can kill some cryptos and and some not uh but the fed and uh, uh you know the treasury department of the u.s can potentially uh create a real dent into the crypto ecosystem if they don't accept it and some other Central banks as well. So I think that, that it's my biggest concern uh, would be what happens uh, if, uh, you know, suddenly the Fed wants to block crypto or Bitcoin in the U.S. How does that look? And I hope that doesn't happen. Um, the thing that excites me most uh, is actually it's, it's how to do traditional Financial contracts uh, and replace them with smart contracts. So I'm a very big believer uh, in sort of capturing all of the smartness that's happening in the world of finance uh, into specifically smart contracts and code.
0: So, so finally, uh, my last question is is something that we just ask everyone, and then a little addition for you. But, but what is the Weirdest or most interesting thing that you had to do while in quarantine, and 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 finally, uh, this is a question directly from Coin Is why Alec Baldwin? Uh, you know what was the decision there?
1: So I'll start with Alec Baldwin. So I'm a, I'm a fan of Alec Baldwin. I think he's uh, you know super funny, but also sometimes super serious. Um, I've been a a fan when I grew up, so it's something that I think. Our audience 25 to 45 are uh, very much familiar with his face. Uh, We saw him in in movies and and different uh, shows. Um, And I think for me, he gives the feeling of of trust and credibility. uh, And that's what we wanted to to do with uh, the commercial uh, is saying, uh, hey, you know, we're a big company that obviously says that um, and, and, you know, we're being represented by someone who is both serious but also fun, uh, which is, you know, very much our brand is about bringing people to enjoy uh, how they are dealing with their finance, with their investments uh, and trading. Uh, regarding the weirdest thing that I have done in Quarantine. Um, it's probably some Zoom. I'm trying to. It's our Zoom parties. So when when quarantine started, uh, we started doing Zoom parties. So I brought a DJ and uh, I invited everybody from Etoro and everybody on my Facebook uh, to do a Zoom party. And I think at peak there were like 500 people on Zoom, actually dancing and jumping and drinking and having fun. Uh, So that was fun. It lasted, I think, uh, three or four Zoom parties uh, until uh, uh, people got a bit tired. And I'm actually very happy to say that, uh, at least here in Israel, things are getting back to normal. Uh, Stores are uh, open. Bars are open. Restaurants are open. The beaches are open. The parks are open. People are going out. Uh, Tel Aviv is uh, uh, very uh, vivid and live right now. And uh, I very much hope for everyone all around the world um, uh, in different places that maybe are still with a high level of either quarantine or isolation. I hope that everybody comes uh, you know, out of this safely um, and get back to the new normal as fast as possible.
0: All right. Well, well thank you so much uh, for joining us, Yoni. It was a pleasure and uh, really appreciated having you on.
1: Thank you very much, Joshua. It was a great conversation.